Okay, hopefully you've got your Bible. If you have, uh, maybe you've got the printed notes or the handout as well. So we're going to Psalm 46 this morning. Psalm 46, so please turn there. Ein fester Borg ist unser Gott. Not speaking in tongues, but that's how the old German monk Martin Luther would have said it when he wrote and sang his triumphant hymn that we know in English as A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Over 500 years ago, Martin Luther was under great persecution and in danger from the Pope and the Catholic Church as he sought to bring reformation to the church. And in the face of opposition, excommunication and pressure from every side to back down, which actually involved him uh, for one period for 11 months being in lockdown and isolation in Wartburg Castle, he stood firm uh, for the truth that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And on occasions when he was fearful or growing discouraged, he would say to his friend and to his fellow reformer, Philip Melanchthon, come Philip, let us sing the 46th. And they would raise their voices and sing, Ein Festerburg ist unser Gott. A mighty fortress is our God. Psalm 46 has become known as Luther's psalm. And yet it's not Luther's psalm only. It's a psalm for all who hope in God. And through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, trust in him for salvation. And Psalm 46 contains precious truth that is a powerful encouragement to God's people in the face of trouble. Now, if you've got your Bible, uh, it doesn't really set an occasion or a setting for Psalm 46, but that doesn't rob us of its power because it just makes it all the more applicable to us in whatever situation we find ourselves. So it might be that Psalm 46 speaks into the situation of personal trials and tribulations, the threats of danger and persecution like it did for Luther, physical or emotional vulnerability, spiritual challenges, international conflicts like or dis, uh, disasters like the pandemic, like wars, like terrorism, or it can speak into uncertain futures. There's no scenario in life that Psalm 46 isn't immediately applicable to. So that's good news for us this morning as we dive in. And Psalm 46 delivers perspective altering truth. It delivers powerful encouragement from the very heart of God to God's people as it stares trouble in the face and exhorts you and I to a sturdy, unflappable, unshakable confidence in God no matter what life throws at us. So it's week seven of the lockdown and maybe you are feeling weary. Maybe the restrictions are just beginning to grind on you and your family. Maybe you're on your own and you're lonely because of the isolation. Maybe your motivation for working at home is waning. Maybe you're apprehensive about what post-lockdown life will look like because the future is so uncertain, both socially and economically. Let Luther's psalm become your psalm this morning as God speaks right into our situation and speaks courage and comfort to our souls. 
So will you read with me Psalm 46? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, and he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would speak that perspective altering, powerful word of encouragement right into our hearts. You know where we're at. You know what we face. You know what we feel and you know what we need. And so we pray you'd speak by your word through the power of your Holy Spirit right into our hearts and situation, bringing forth comfort to our souls and courage to our hearts. Amen. Well, the world is seeking refuge and comfort, especially at this time of the uh, pandemic. And maybe the question is being phrased like this. Is there any safe place? What is post-lockdown world going to be like? Is it going to be safe to go out? Is it going to be safe to go back to work? Is it safe for my children to go back to school? And the, the answer is, if we're honest, no. There is no safe place in the world. And not just because of the pandemic. But the good news is that there is a safe place in God. In fact, he's the only safe place. God alone is our refuge and strength. And Psalm 46 finds three places of safety for us. God's power, God's presence, and in God's pronouncement. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to begin with God's power, which is verses 1 to 3. Verse 1 opens with one word that sets the subject of the whole psalm. It tells us the what and the who of what the psalm is all about. And it's not I, it's God. There are many psalms that tell us about how God's people are to trust in God, but this isn't one of those psalms. This is a psalm that tells us about the God who is worthy of our trust. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That means that personal accomplishments, educational achievements, material possessions, influential connections that we have, they cannot keep us safe 
from the chaos and the confusion and the calamities of this world. The psalm, in fact, assumes that we will be struck by trouble and that Christians aren't immune from that. But it does remind us that there is a safe place for us in the power of God. And it describes this power in two ways, if you notice. It says refuge, that God is our refuge. That means that when we are attacked, when we are under assault, there is a place that we can run to and hide. That there is a shelter that we can go to where we find safety. It's a, a refuge was like an ancient panic room. It was a place where you would go to in the midst of your trouble and you would be safe and secure. So Psalm 91 verses 1 to 4, the psalmist says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence from the pandemic. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. So God is our refuge, but then it also describes him as our strength. Sometimes there are there are times where God protects us from trouble. And there are other times that in his good providence, he allows us to be attacked. And that times when he allows those assaults, we can be in trouble. Our minds can be in trouble from confusion or stress. Our bodies can be troubled as we get sick from viruses or from cancer. Our hearts can be troubled through sorrow or tangled emotions. We're not sure what we're supposed to feel. And our relationships can be troubled through strife, division or difficulties. And in those moments, the psalmist tells us here that God is our strength, that he's our supply, that he will empower us with resolve to resist to stand firm, to uh, <coughs> endure, to be patient, to persevere and to avail in trouble. So Isaiah would write in chapter 40 verse 31, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Then the psalmist tells us that God is not just a, a distant help, like he's somehow standing aloof and far off and that he will send help and best wishes from afar. It doesn't even tell us that he's a potential help, that as long as you do these seven steps, you can unlock the help that he provides and tap into it for yourself. No, he tells us that God is a very present help, that he is a help when we surely need him, that at the time that we need him, he can exactly be found. And that he's always ready to help his people who are in trouble. The word trouble here doesn't mean mild inconvenience or a little bother or some kind of hassle that is coming to us. But trouble here is earth shattering, unpredictable, unexpected, uncontrollable trouble. It literally means when you're in a tight spot. So when you're in trouble, a threatening or dangerous situation that has got your back up against the wall that has backed you into a corner, that has you under siege from every side, where there's no apparent way of escape or no room for manoeuvre or no seeming fix, God is a very present help at those times. He's not a God who's calling 999 on behalf and then sending back up. 
He's not a God who is arranging a delivery of help for us in the post. He's not a God who is writing a prescription of help and then telling us, well, come back in two weeks' time if it's still not resolved like a doctor might. No, God himself is our help. And he comes to us in our need as our aid to provide all the help that we need. Refuge and strength. And he comes with all of his omnipotent, almighty power and strength. So then the psalmist draws a conclusion in verse 2 and says, Therefore, if God is really like this, as described in verse 1, we won't fear. We don't need to fear. Fear, distress, panic, anxiety have no place in the life of the believer if we believe that God is, as verse 1 describes him a refuge, a strength, and a help. What it means is that God will ensure that absolutely nothing will destroy his good purposes for us and that there will be nothing that can snatch us out of his hand. Psalm uh, 46 verses 2 and 3 imagines then the most catastrophic or apocalyptic stuff. This is the stuff of epic Hollywood disaster, end of the world movies that... Even if the whole fabric of the created order unravels, even if the foundation of our earthly existence is shaken to the core, even if the most solid and stable things that we can see come crashing down around our ears, that all those normal things that we rely upon to give us a sense of balance, whether they be physical, mental, emotional, whatever they might be that provide stability, if they get swept away... We will not fear. That's what the psalmist says. When there's nothing left to grab hold of, if you you like, God is there. We will not fear. Spurgeon said it this way. There might be an earthquake, but there doesn't need to be any heartache. And I love that. God is our refuge and strength. Now, for you and me, it doesn't really take an earthquake or a perfect storm to shake us and to stir us. And to fear, make us fearful and worried. Usually it requires much less for us to, for our lives to go from calm to chaos. So ask yourself the question. What's your worst case scenario? What's that thing that's so precious to you that if it was taken away from you it would make your world collapse and you descend into panic? What is it that threatens the serenity of your soul? Psalm 46 would comfort us in the midst of those questions. And tell us that there is no earthquake of any sort, natural, physical, emotional, moral, financial, psychological, that can ever shake us from the hand of God. And if God is our Father, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, then we shall not fear. Listen to some other parts of scripture that tell us the same truth. Psalm 27 verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold or refuge of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Then Isaiah 41 verse 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. In John 14 verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And then he draws the conclusion, let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
And then the writer to Hebrews in, verse, in chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 says, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So whatever you fear most, hidden in him with God as our refuge and strength, we can face it head on. For he is an unflappable, unshakable safety because of his power. In home group this week, Paul and Kate Wilding shared the words of this old hymn that you see in your notes, The Everlasting Arms by a lady called Annie Johnston Flint. Uh, and I put it in the notes. I was going to read it, but we we're going to be running out of time. So just read it yourself. But it is wonderful. In fact, Claire and I printed it out and have stuck it to our kitchen as a reminder of God's refuge and strength and his everlasting arms that uphold us. So we're safe in God's power. But secondly, the psalmist goes on to tell us that we are safe in God's presence. And this is verses one, uh, four to seven. After the unsettling shaking of the ground and everything that is solid and stable in verses 2 and 3, there's a dramatic change in the tone of the psalm in verse 4 as peace descends. Now what makes the difference? Well, if you look and read closely, the difference is the presence of God, symbolised by a river that flows through the city of God, which symbolises the people of God. And it's a reminder of paradise, if you were to go back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, you find this description of the Garden of Eden, that there's a river running through it. Then in Ezekiel chapter 47, when Ezekiel sees a vision of the future, he sees a river flowing from the temple that nourishes the whole land. And then in the final chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 22, the Apostle John, who is seeing a vision of the things to come, sees a river flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb that flows throughout the, the heavenly city. So the river of God symbolizes the presence of God. And the psalmist here reminds us that even though the waters roar, and there's a distinct contrast between roaring waters and a peaceful, refreshing river, but even though the waters roar and the nations rage, and even though the mountains tremble and the kingdoms totter, and he's tying those images together by using the same words, roar and rage and tremble and totter. Same Hebrew words for roar and rage, same Hebrew words for tremble and totter. He says, God's people won't be moved. God's people are secure because God is present with them. They won't be moved because God is a refreshing, calming river. His presence ensures calm. But he doesn't stop there. He then says that he will help when morning dawns. Now that seems a bit odd, doesn't it? You know, usually we think about the, the danger in the black of the night, in the darkness of the night, the, in the undercover darkness of night, people do bad things. But then help comes in the morning. That seems a bit late, doesn't it? Well, the original reader would have understand, understood when morning dawns as a reference to Exodus chapter 14, verse 27. The people of God had fled Egypt under the leadership of Moses and they were crossing the Red Sea to their freedom. And the mighty Egyptian army was pursuing them. And so they are going across the Red Sea, but the chariots and the army of this ancient superpower are pursuing them. And God tells Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea and then verse 27 of Exodus 14 says this and the sea returned to its normal course it came crashing down on the Egyptians 
when the morning appeared, when the morning dawned. At just the right time, when they needed it most, God decisively defeated his enemies and saved his people. He delivered them. He was a very present help in time of trouble. At just the right time, when they needed him, when the morning dawned, he came and rescued them. And so surely at the right time, our God will help us. There's never a nanosecond when you're out of his heart, his mind or his hand. He is present with us to be a refuge and strength. We're safe with him. Then in verse 6b, we get this description of when fallen creation and rebellious humanity roars and rages against God and his people are under threat. What happens? He speaks and the earth melts. God has the last word. And in verses 8 to 11, we hear what he has to say. Because we hear God's pronouncement. God's pronouncement, that's the third point. In verse 8, there's this invitation to reflect on God's past faithfulness and God's past work as a pointer towards his future faithfulness and his future work. It's a reminder to reflect that he is sovereign over all things and orchestrating everything that is happening. But he's also the deliverer and he's the peacemaker. Not by negotiation or compromise, but by triumph and victory. And that God is moving all of creation and all of history according to his good purposes and towards the goal for which he has appointed them. Now what is that goal? Well, verse 10 spells it out for us. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth that's God's goal be still and know that I'm God and I will be glorified now sometimes the command in verse 10 be still and know that I am God is mistaken for a kind of a command to contemplative reflective kind of quiet mindfulness meditation but that's not the language here that is used verse 10 actually is a call to surrender and to desist. Be still and know that I'm God. Stop it. Cease. Give up. Lay down your arms. Stop warring against me. For I am God. And I will be victorious and glorious. And it's a pronouncement to all of humanity. Firstly, to all who rage against him, that's anybody who doesn't believe in him, who has not found their refuge and strength in him through the personal work of Jesus Christ. So if you're watching this this morning and you're not yet a Christian, God calls you in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. He says, stop trying to fight against me. Stop your futile attempts to usurp me. Cease and desist. From your fruitless project of living apart from me and my purposes. The New Testament might say it like this. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Surrender and submit your life to him as the true king. And if that's you this morning, please... Talk to someone that you know who's a Christian or get in touch with us at the church here and we would be delighted to talk to you more about that. 
If you are a Christian, this psalm speaks to us. It speaks to those who are restless and weary and fearful and anxious and despairing and doubting and troubled. And verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Stop living like you've forgotten who God is. That's what it's saying to us. Stop fighting your own corner. Cease trying to control your own life. Put an end to the striving of trying to outmaneuver your own your troubles and trying to find your own solutions. Stop looking for hope and peace in all of the wrong places. Remember what you know about God, his power and his presence and hear his pronouncements and then trust him and obey him. Let him be God to you again. And let him lift from your shoulders all of the burdens and the trials and the despair and the fears and the disappointments and the anxieties that we face. And let him be our refuge and strength. So be still and know that I am God is stop and bow the knee. Repent and receive the grace that could be ours through Jesus. And then we get to verses, verse 11 which is a refrain and a repeat of verse 7. And this, this is the chorus of the whole song. And it's a summary of the song. For the psalmist tells us that the Lord, Yahweh, the personal God, who makes promises and keeps promises, who has chosen us to be his people, is not some distant, aloof God who is unfeeling and unknowing, but he's our God, a personal God who has revealed himself to us, who is with us. And this Lord, this Yahweh, this personal God is the Lord of hosts. He's not some piece of wood or metal that we bow down to. But he is a God who is a powerful and mighty commander of a heavenly army. When I read this, it reminded me of uh, something I was reading in my devotions recently as I've been going through the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 5, uh, it's the night before the battle of Jericho and Joshua is out on a last minute kind of re reconnaissance mission. He's out on his own and he comes across this stranger, this soldier who is across his path with a drawn sword. And Joshua rightly asks him a question. Well, who are you? And the stranger replies and says... Uh, well, Joshua then says, you know, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the stranger says, no, I am the commander of the armies of the Lord and I have come. In other words, Joshua sees this fellow standing with his sword drawn and he wants to know whose side he's on. And the stranger says, listen, you don't understand who I am. I don't come to take sides. I come to take over. And that's who our God is. He's a heavenly father. He's our Lord, Yahweh, our personal God. And he's the matchless warrior king who's triumphant and victorious. But then we also see something else, that he's the God of Jacob. Now, if you've read some of your Old Testament, you might be familiar with the, the, the name Jacob because Jacob was the third of the patriarchs. There was Abraham, there was Isaac and Jacob. These were the founding fathers of the Jewish faith. Abraham was the original founding father. And then his son Isaac was the faithful son who willingly lay down on, a, on an altar to sacrifice himself in Genesis 22. But Jacob's reputation is not quite the same category as Abraham and Isaac. He was the worst of the patriarchs. He was a schemer, a cheater and a trickster. He was a hustler. 
He hustled his uh, he hustled his father, he hustled his brother, he hustled his uncle, uh, and it seems that the Bible points out more bad stuff about Jacob than it does good stuff. And yet here in Psalm 46, God identifies with Jacob. God tells us that he is the God for sinners, that he is the God for tricksters and hustlers like Jacob, like you and me. This is our God. He's majestic and merciful. He's the Lord of hosts. And he's the God of Jacob. He is glorious and gracious. And he's our refuge and strength in time of need. But Psalm 46 can be read by us today here in the 21st century in a, in a deeper and fuller way than the original psalmist understood it. Because the original psalmist wrote and sang Psalm 46 as a comfort and a encouragement when he faced external trouble but we can now read it in light of God being our help and strength in eternal trouble you see the God who drew near to the psalmist has drawn even nearer to us in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ who the Bible calls Emmanuel God with us and Jesus came to earth to bear upon himself the weight of God's judgment against sin and remove from us the wrath that we deserve because of our individual sins. And the cross of Jesus Christ that he died upon at Calvary is now our refuge. It's the place that we run to for shelter from God's wrath. It's the place we run to for security and safety. It's the demonstration of God's majesty and mercy, his gloriousness and his graciousness, as he saves us, not from just external trouble, but from eternal trouble. And because he has saved us from this greater trouble, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that he will be our help and our refuge in any other kind of trouble. If he can save us from the greatest trouble we will face, he can save us from any lesser trouble that we face today or tomorrow or next week or next year. So, in the words of Martin Luther, come, let us sing the 46th. And then he would say, and let them do their worst. The God of Jacob is with us. The Lord of hosts is our refuge and strength. Ein fester Burg ist unser Gott. A mighty fortress is our God. Let's pray.